behold, and welcome to Sideburns and Cigarettes, a Lupin the Third podcast, a podcast about a monkey-faced thief, his disciples, and their many adventures. <laughs> uh, mm. You know, you know, Drew. I appreciate you coming at this from a different angel. I mean, angle. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's gonna, it's gonna keep coming. Because, oh my lord! Yay, verily, <laughs> literally, literally. Yay, verily. This is a testament to our reaction to uh, the sixth part of Lupin the Third. It is uh, tea time, or is it, or is it holy wine time? Ooh, let's be holy real. wine time. Yes. It's a time for communion. Yes, it's a time for communion. It's a time for the body and the blood of Christ. Trans- transubstantiation. Amen. Sorry, clearly you could tell who the Catholic in this in this trio is tonight. So, so if you guys can't tell, we're definitely winging this one. Yeah. Very. <laughs> oh, boy. So we are discussing the return of my boy, Mamoru Oshii, and as I said in the uh, the next week preview, um, well, a- as I predicted, this episode appears to be, I don't know, it- is this one more or less polarizing than the last Oshii episode was? I can't, it's hard to get like a, a-, a gauge. Yeah. Or even like a clear, concrete reaction. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel with um, with the killers in the diner, it was very much a I do not like this. I am giving up on Lupin the third eternally sentiment. <laughs> no, really. It like was. that's the feeling I got. And I even said in the episode, my, you know, seeing that on social media and then having to watch it myself made me feel like, oh, well, I can't enjoy it because other people were quick to trash on it. This one, on the other hand, was I don't know. I, I am confusion. <laughs> Both in the reaction of both of my reaction to the episode and social media's reaction to the episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, one more thing. Um, so uh, my name is Drew. <laughs> and let's see. In God be trust. That's me, Chris Godby. <laughs> and um, I probably have the most un- unreligious name ever because I'm Natalie. Um, nobody knows where the hell my last name comes from. And the only thing you can get out of my last name is moist. So yeah, no, um, I'm not going to do anything biblical, but I will say I am a Catholic, not just any Catholic. I'm a Mexican Catholic. So, oh, not only that, I went to a Catholic university (laughs) that makes you take Catholic Bible study courses every every semester you're there. So let's just say um, all the Bible thumping classes I took did not prepare me for this episode. <laughs> Honestly, same because I come from a, a a a a Baptist family, former attendee of a Baptist church myself, no longer for uh, obvious reasons. And um, uh, yeah, yeah, this this is one of those episodes that like. Like, even, like, when you, like, leave, when, like, certain subject matter gets touched on and it's actually kind of unnerving, it, like, hits that little nerve where you're like, oh, man, that's spooky. Which was <laughs> very much me during this episode. One scene in particular did it. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, man. 
I'm an ordained minister myself. So since we're all talking about our, you know, our, our you religious know, experience. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a minister. So, although a, a non-denominational one, so I guess it's not really relevant. Anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> but see, the reason why I mentioned that personally is because, um, you know, again, nobody needs to know. I'm, I'm very open, which is very classic of Americans. Um, no one needs to know my, my personal life or what I am. But I feel like it is relevant to the conversation because this episode takes a turn for the biblical. Yeah. And, not, and it's funny when you think about it because... Last week, um, when you see the preview for last week, I know like Drew, again, you were very excited because Mamoru Oshii wrote this episode and you were like, yes, Mamoru Oshii, my boy's back. <laughs> um, but what I got from the preview was that we were going from literary references to paleontology. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. And of course, our co-host in Switzerland, Guillaume, was really excited about that um, because he loves, he's a big paleontology nerd, like. So I was like, okay, so this is this is a different route. But then you watch the episode itself, and while the paleontology aspect is there, we did go back to literary references. I just didn't <laughs> expect true. us to go to the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> we got to go back. We got to go way back. <laughs> I mean, I mean, either way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, you know, I, when I was thinking about what I was going to talk about tonight with this episode, um. Recently, I'm 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 on this mythology hype train, you know, with like with things like Lore Olympus and Punderworld and Hades Town. I'm currently obsessed, obviously, with Greek mythology. Not that that interest never died since I was a kid, but when you think of when you think about it at its core, you know, Christianity is is a mythology, mm-hmm. and the Bible is its text. So it is a book. At, at the core yeah. of it, it is a book. This is true. So the literature, the, the literature theme continues, just not <laughs> remotely how we were expecting it to. Not in the way that you think. <laughs> right. <laughs> so far, it's like, all right, so murder mystery, uh, you know, pirate adventures, Portrait Dorian Gray, the Bible. <laughs> it's like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> One of these things. <laughs> One of these things isn't isn't like the other. <laughs> Uh, so to 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 kick off our roundtable discussion of this very special episode, um, Chris, what are your what are your initial feelings toward towards this this thing? Confusion, dread, but overall enjoyment. Oh yeah, but yeah, I mean, I well, actually, I guess my initial reactions were, you know, involving Fujiko in a tight jacket and glasses. Mm. But once we got past that. I got bored really quickly with all of the uh, exposition in the first half. And then as soon as we, you know, got back from commercial break and Lupin and Jigen show up. And then from then to the end, I was like glued to the screen. It, I liked it. I think, <laughs> you know, I feel that it's like, I've said, I've said it a few times today, but I feel like there's more of a question mark at the end each time. <laughs> No, I liked it. I mean, like, I wouldn't want the whole series to be like this, but mm. you know, as, as a one-off episode, it was it was incredibly fascinating. Oh yeah. And I, f- I feel like we should probably just go ahead and address that one shot near the end. Ooh, ooh, ooh. when uh, when our uh, resident archangel reveals that he's actually 
been a uh, Lupin the whole time, or right, Lupin's been him in disguise. You know, his eye, his eyes go blue. He leans over Fujiko's shoulder. Oh man, that was yeah, terrifying, that was creepy as hell. Yes. Well, well, <laughs> not, I don't know about that. <laughs> it's true. Um, going, you know, piggybacking off that, Chris, you know that that one scene, that screenshot of um, mm-hmm. of Fujiko looking terrified. And Lupin with blue eyes just right behind her. Um, Zoe the Nine Thousand. We talk. We talk about him a lot in our in our show because because we know he listens. Hi again. <laughs> um, you know he mentioned that like when I don't know if it was TMS in Japan or or whomever um, retweet you know tweeted out promotional images for the episode and he said oh that's kind of a spoiler me who doesn't read japanese even with google translate and me who looked at it like it's a spoiler i'm sorry i'm i'm totally confused like i wasn't spoiled at all until i watched the episode and i was like oh okay okay cuz it you know seeing that before seeing the episode did kind of diminish the the scare of the reveal you know mm-hmm. like my 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 feelings of it if i had not seen that promotional images probably would have been a little bit more different um than what i initially had when i watched it mm-hmm. then again i watched it while i was really tired from work on my birthday <laughs> i watched this episode on my birthday so <laughs> <laughs> well i i feel like it's worth pointing out though that I, I think that whenever this episode tries to go for scary the animation quality suddenly jumps up. Yep. As well as, and so is the viewer. But yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I think that, like, you know, I've seen that that the screen cap you're talking about, and I didn't think much of it. But when you actually see it in the context, of the episode is terrifying. Yeah. Yep. And then especially again with, uh, I'm not going to try for the Hebrew pronunciation, but when, uh, you know, the Archangel Michael's, you know, smirks at Fujiko at the end. Uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you know, the yeah, the animation goes a long way with that, though. Oh mm-hmm. god, I watched that in broad daylight, and that's still like, like I was already kind of creeped out by like the reveal and the whole thing with Lupin. I'm like, man, this is, and then like it, it does that reset where it, like almost goes back to the beginning of the episode, but it's clearly after because he mm-hmm. asks right. if she's accepted the proposal, and then she reveals another thing that we'll get to. But when she just says, you know, like Michael, did I get the pronunciation right this time? He just looks at her. And his, it's like one of those like gr- like smiles that goes up just a little bit too far, like the corner of his mouth, and you're just like, oh no and, no 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 no, and not and not in a fun monkey punch kind of way. No, either. it's like downright like <laughs> sinister for some reason, and it's it 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 like sets this like thing where I I um I like how it presents whatever this interpretation of Michael and God are as just fucking terrifying. And like terrifying, and just like just just you like you can't understand what their like and their motivations are or anything about them. Like, are they just are they just like playing with the Lupine gang or something? It, it, it opens up a lot of big existential questions that you're just like not quite ready for. <laughs> Basically, I mean, you know, my thing is, um, it's interesting because you know when when. Japanese stories or even Japanese animes when they go the direction of involving or retelling or or using um, Christian tropes and stories because you know it's not it's not necessarily a Christian nation five percent of the population in Japan identifies as Christian most of it is honestly um, Shintoism 
um, with some Buddhists, some Taoists, you know, mixed mixed in here and there. But there's not that many um, people in Japan that actively practice Christianity. But, you know, the Bible and Christian stories are um, well known throughout the world. And a lot of stories piggy, you know, a lot of tropes and a lot of stories piggyback off of it. So whenever I see something in Japan that goes that route, it's it, it is very interesting. And then you get kind of like think of like Superman. Superman is a um is a Christ allegory. I think adorably told by um, you know, written by um Jewish men. I always saw Superman being as more as Moses myself. Ah, uh, okay. But also I mean like we we you know, in Japan there's also a Christ allegory in um Dragon Ball Z. So they they've used those tropes. Just when they tell the outright stories or have characters, it can either go one of two ways. It goes very Old Testament or it goes very um, <laughs> it goes very comical in camp. And mm-hmm. this way just happened to went very Old Testament, very fearful. It, it, it really did, especially with how menacing you know, both God and Michael were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, that's very much old Testament stuff. And again, you know, like um, my old Testament, my, it's not like I didn't study or didn't read the old Testament. You know, my recollection of the old Testament's a little bit rusty. Honestly, my favorite old Testament story is the story of Naomi and Ruth, which is probably one of the more kinder old Testament stories than what you get <laughs> in the old Testament. I think, I mean, think about it. The old Testament has stories such as like, you know, um, the lamentation of the mothers who lost, their first you know their firstborn children um during the 10th plague and also of course um um lot's wife turning into salt because she fucked around and found out mm-hmm. um so you know like we could sit here all day and just talk about how yeah the bible especially in the old testament is very very terrifying shit was fucked up back then yeah (laughs) which is you know and and, and back to that and i think you could just count this as my reaction i mean first off from a horror standpoint i'm i'm actually glad that mamaro oshi went the horror standpoint because he's done it in ghost in the shell with with as much exposition but I, again, I feel like one of the things that people still talk about with Mamoru Oshii is like, this guy really needs to learn not to have too much exposition. Like, uh, yes, it doesn't work in a 25 minute anime. It works in a movie. It works in a book. Doesn't work in an anime. Mm-hmm. Shut up. We get it. But the exposition helps to set up what is in store for Fujiko. And um, the other thing that I did enjoy was the horror aspect of it from how terrified Fujiko looks to, and I, to that one scene where I thought, uh, is the episode broken? Is high dive broken? <laughs> I kind of had like that one moment, like in one of the game of Thrones books where it looks like there's a big ink blot and you're like, uh, is my book broken? <laughs> kind of uh, reminded me of uh, a nightmare on Elm street part four. Yes. <laughs> How there's yep. how there's like that, well, like one or two scenes that just like you get to like a certain point, and then those two scenes just play over again. Mm-hmm. Because I remember watching, I was just like, is my DVD skipping? No, it can't be. This is a VHS. <laughs> Legit, I did think high, my high dive was broken, or high dive was just broken, and then I went back to yeah. the realization when it came to that scene. Oh my god, the fan base is gonna rip this scene apart. <laughs> well, see, uh, the thing that uh, that clued me in on the fact that it wasn't a glitch 
was the shot of the clock. Because even though the uh, the second hand kept resetting, it was still constantly zooming in slowly. And that's when I realized, okay, no, no, this isn't a glitch. I'm, I'm supposed to be seeing this. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to find it bizarre. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just going to say about the, uh, ex- about the exposition, I read earlier that uh, someone was uh, kind of confused by Michael's statement about like about Darwin uh, writing on faith instead of facts, which I feel like that was probably foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and also I do know that Charles Darwin was a very spiritual fellow. Mm-hmm. So, so there probably is some truth to that as well, but no, yeah, that was, yeah, the, the, that was an interesting touch. Yeah. The Darwin, the Darwin aspect to this is interesting. I mean, especially when you consider what Darwin's history was about and, I know we'll probably, you know, I haven't listened to what Guillaume's take is on this episode from a paleontological standpoint. Um, But, you know, this artifact, this fossil known as Darwin's bird or Darwin's fossil, whatever you want to call it, it is the Rosetta Stone of um, the theory of evolution. Because you got to remember when Darwin published his theory of evolution in the 19th century, it was considered blasphemous. Like the influence of the Catholic church had waned in Europe by then, but there were still people who believed in, you know, reasoning by faith, not by, you know, by, not by thought, not by intellectualism, not really at least. And, you know, to this day, there's still this ongoing battle. I'm not going to mention where, and I'm not going to mention by whom, but there's still this ongoing battle between, creationism and um and evolution whatever you believe you know that's on you but you cannot deny the science that you know it's been proven especially from the paleontological standpoint that evolution is real and there is some merit to what darwin wrote Mm -hmm. because here it is right here (laughs) (laughs) even even if the man himself didn't want to believe it yeah indeed and I'm um, on that exposition dump thing. I'll transition to, to to my thoughts about it. The first time I watched it, I was paying attention for a bit, but like I kind of got distracted because the one thing I've talked about in like the last few tea times is the thing I don't like to loop on is two people just sitting and talking about cool stuff. And my <laughs> mind just started going like, "Oh no, is this what this is going to be?" And like my mind just just kept like going to like like what's the timestamp? What's the timestamp? How long is this like? And like what <laughs> what? And then when it got to the second half, like it started to gain my interest. But on rewatch, even though I do think it could be maybe like a little, just a little bit more condensed, possibly. Except for the, I say that I don't know, I don't know where I would trim it, so I should probably just shut up. But it just feels like it goes a little further than it should. But watching it a second time, like th- there was a few things that like I really like how they already established some of that, like kind of tone of dread in it or just uneasiness because there's a moment when i'm uh when michael tells fujiko like this you know this bird that he's gonna like that 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 they're discussing rides the line between reality and falsity and he just sits there quietly staring at her with no music at all それはつまり 
そういえばまだ名前を聞いてなかったわね失礼私はそうミハイルとでもしておこうか The conversation resumes and then when she asks what his name is he goes Oh yes my name is and he does it again just like really quiet for about not, not quite as long but there's just these like weird like protracted bits of just pure silence that really kind of unsettled me. And honestly, a big giveaway should have been the fact that um,、uh, something was off with Michael because his hair does not have the same like inky, like black outline that everyone else does. I don't know if you caught that. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's supposed to be intentional, but like the,、uh, the line work on his hair specifically is the same color blonde that like his hair actually is, which was like, like it gives it kind of like, I don't know. It, it, it made it stand out a little bit. It looks like angelic hair because it almost looks like it's like glowing or something. I don't know. I feel like it could be rambling.、Oh, I didn't catch that. That's neat. But、um, <clears throat> apart from that, everything in the museum, like,、uh, like Natalie mentioned, starting with the,、uh, the time loop, which at first I was thinking, like, oh, is this supposed to be like. Showing that, like, this is the effect it's having on the,、uh, the security cam because you, you see it from the POV of the security cam. And the music's、right. like, the music almost sounds like that, that piece that plays in Cagliostro when Lupin's climbing the,、uh, the roof of the castle. Yes, I thought that too. Yeah. But what happens is that、yeah, it's, that well. it's playing that, like, standard. You see the,、um, like, all the screens, but then it starts showing the guy saying the coffee cup down. And there's these really discordant strings that start building up right at that moment. And they keep like getting more like grating and like, like this, this、mm-hmm. off putting as you realize, oh no, this is actually happening. For a minute, I was like I, like, I can't tell if this is supposed to be like a representation of what the cameras are doing or what. Although now, I would assume, like, like, my, like my little pet theory is like that is the moment when Michael shows up, when she plugs that thing in and just. Almost、oh. like reality starts bending, like something inhuman just arrived. So, like,、mm-hmm. stuff's kind of thrown off because Fujiko is like going normally, but everything around her appears to be repeating. And then th- this part kind of baffles me. Lupin shows up and seems normal for a bit. He mentions a line about being her guardian angel. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't even, oh, I didn't even realize that. I've only watched the episode once, too. So I. Because at first, I'm like. Oh, man, I didn't think about that. Like, what an interesting line on rewatch. You're like, oh. Oh, you. Like, like, that's, like, that's literal. <laughs> 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 But there's also a moment like Fujiko seems like everything is normal. They, they go to this server room and he、uh, says it's on the east side. And she's like, no, it's, it's on the north. And he just sits there quietly staring at the screen. And then she looks at him with a look of concern while he's just staring at the screen. So, I'm wondering if, like, is that the moment that, like, Michael possesses him? Did, is he possessed? Is he in disguise? Is, like, like, there's a lot of questions with Lupin at the end of this that, like, I don't even know if there's a definitive answer to, but it's really fun to speculate. The way Oshi handles, like, the, the,、uh, the scripture content in this is, or the, the biblical content, is, um, uh, Uh, very similar, like, like that is a running theme in pretty much all of his、mm-hmm. works since that Lupin movie got canceled, which is interesting because、um, <laughs> I, know for, I know that、uh, in 
I think he went to work on the Pat Labor OVA. This is not brought up too often. I always, I've always seen Pat Labor 2 mentioned, and now I see Pat Labor. I know Daryl Surratt in an article recently that I can't think of mentioned specifically the first Pat Labor film. But even in, Pat, in the, the first Pat Labor OVA series, there is a construction project going on in that universe called the Babylon Project, which is just really interesting naming considering that's oh, like yeah. the first thing he went to work on. Well, not the first thing. One of the things he went to work on. The first, the immediate thing was uh, Angel's Egg, which had the uh, the angel fossil element as a part of that story. So, like, th- there was one element being used. But the uh, the strictly biblical stuff is really evident in his um, first Pat Labor movie. There is a bit of his Lupin movie concept about a scientist who re- who rebuilds the Tower of Babel in the middle of Tokyo. And then throws himself off. Of, he throws himself off of it and commits suicide, and that kind of kickstarts the whole plot. Well, the opening scene of Pat Labor the movie is a you find you, you find out with context later is a programmer who goes to the top of a big construction part of the Babylon project called the Ark and throws himself from it, which kicks off the entire plot of that film, where his name is uh, I forgot is something uh, Hoba. But he calls himself Ehoba because it sounds similar to Jehovah. And he has this whole weird, like, creepy plot involving uh, code and scripture, the, like, like uh, this virus called Babel. And specifically, the ending has um, this is all a roundabout thing to get to. The ending of that film has a similar bit where one of the characters climbs up to the top of this tower. And the whole movie up until then is, like, pretty atmospheric, pretty. It's atmospheric, but it's standard Pat Labor stuff. But there's this moment when the main character, Noah, climbs up this ladder and goes into a, uh, like, this watchtower where this dead programmer's, like, call sign is showing up at. And when she goes in, there's just all of these crows, like, lined up in this watchtower with these glowing red eyes just staring directly at her. Which felt very reminiscent to me of the opening scene in this, the uh, the room that Michael takes Fujiko to, that has a room full mm-hmm. of birds with like shining eyes, one staring directly at the camera that freaked me out, even though it's a goose, which is like the least threatening thing ever. There's just this shot, or not, not it's either a goose or a swan. I don't know, I'll figure it out. But there's this shot of Michael where he's addressing. I mean, Fujiko. both of them are pretty threatening, though. That's pretty true. Um, there's a shot of Michael like looking at Fujiko talking and there's just like swan slash goose, whichever one it is, is like barely in frame with its eye looking directly Scoose. at the camera. <laughs> Scoose. <laughs> but anyway, I'm, I'm once again on this podcast rambling, but Oshi has a big thing with scriptural references. It, there's a lot of it in Pat Labor 2. There is a shit ton of it. There's a good little bit in Ghost in the Shell, and there's a ton in Ghost in the Shell Innocence where characters practically just quote philosophy and scripture at each other for about two hours. It's it's monotonous. It's also great, but um, yeah, I, I like how he brought that element to this episode, and I also like how he how I know he didn't direct it, but obviously he scripted it. Whoever directed it, uh, insert name here. Um, <laughs> I they did a really good job of like kind of bringing the vibe that some of his movies have because there's a lot of moments in this of just these big still wide shots with no music and just whatever atmospheric sound in that room like is there's a moment when Fujiko when she breaks into the museum 
she enters this room where there's like all these crates and all you hear is just like the humming of like like the electric like like you just hear the humming of like the room itself and then the lights turning on you hear like the buzzing of those lights and there's just a shot that holds on that and just lets you take in like this empty atmosphere that's really like builds up that unsettling like unsettling tone so yeah i like this episode which a lot. carries on through the rest of the episode oh god yeah it's pun intended hey <laughs> not intended but retroactively intended <laughs> um i like that you're mentioning you know that oshi you know that oshi does um involve you know some use of scripture in um his writings and you know especially like i said i remember it in ghost in the shell but also you know coming back to lupon in terms of like is could lupon lend itself to having a biblical element in its stories and I know a lot of people in the fandom might have mixed feelings about it, but Lupin can lend itself to have anything, honestly. And and in this this is not a challenge, again, fanfic writers. No, this is not a challenge or anything. Like, you know, from a story standpoint, so long as you have the polycule, the main quintet, you could put Lupin almost anywhere. And I mean it. We've seen time travel. We've seen, you know we've seen christ and i mean not christ we've seen no we have seen christ actually in mamo but um it's true <laughs> we've seen well, we've seen uh, gods we've huh we we've, we've met christ's sister in uh part two yeah which also added elements of gothic horror um and vampires we've seen you know we've seen zombies we've seen and elvis presley <laughs> yeah we've seen elvis <laughs> we've seen you know we've seen a lot with Lupin. in that same episode <laughs> heck we even saw um aliens and and insert george whatever his name is meme here we've seen aliens with lupon i mean well i was gonna say like it's especially it's interesting how you bring up a you know aliens and also you know oshi's canceled uh lupon a third movie which became which later on became a legend of babylon yes right because i feel like some of oshi's original concepts which are probably used in this episode you know were utilized to an extent in that movie as well, because whenever I think about Babylon in particular, the golden legend of Babylon, the part that always sticks out in my mind is the flashback showing God picking up the golden tower of Babel and then accidentally dropping it at Madison square garden. <laughs> so this isn't, so yeah, this isn't the first time the Lord Almighty has appeared in Lupin the third either. No. And you know, it, it, so, so long as it's written well and done right, it can be done. You know, Thinking about it, I don't know why part six is making me think about my own shit that I write for Lupin the Third in terms of me still writing fan fiction, <laughs> or at least continuing the stuff that I'm writing with my OCs and whatnot. Um, I have written a story where yeah. the gods, not God as in like God and Christ, you know, not not the monolithic God, but like you know, the like mythology gets involved with Lupin. Because I saw that it fit. I saw that it could happen and it does make sense that Lupin would be tasked by Athena, by Hermes through the intercession of Athena. Hey, I need your help looking for this treasure. Why Hermes? Because Hermes is the god of thieves. Yes, he is the messenger, but also thieves were his patronage. So to me, it made sense. And when I started writing it and it came through, I was like, oh, yeah, this works. I like it. (laughs) 
that's and apparently that's what happened with Oshi. Just decided to put horror into the mix, and I thank the man for it. Indeed, <laughs> I was a. Uh, I was uh, talking to a friend about this episode earlier, and he mentioned that he's not quite sure how he felt about it, especially with the implication that, you know, the Christian, you know, afterlife in particular is, you know, implied to be canon. I guess so. It's like <laughs> you know, if Lupin or his or his friend dies, are they going to go to heaven or hell? It's like he's not quite sure how he felt about it. You ever heard of the um? You ever heard of the divine conspiracy? Anybody? No. Okay, I figured. So there's some there's some metal band from Europe, um, the Netherlands to be exact, I believe. I think they are Dutch, by the name of Epica. Look them up. They're really cool. The lead singer is a woman by the name of Simone Simmons. Mwah. Love her. Chef's kiss. The the main writer for their music is a guy by the name of Mark Jensen, and I love how a lot of people don't realize how political their music is. It's just all told through um through clever writing and metaphor and in 2008 they came out with an album that i totally recommend by the name of the divine conspiracy um when asked what does the divine conspiracy um what does the divine conspiracy mean and um Hold on, I actually have to, I have to look into this real quick because um, Mark Jensen's explanation was a little bit, um, was a little bit thorough, and he said um, it's new themes and lyrics moving away from what their last album was. Um, a lot of it was written around the time when the war on terror was going on, and a blah, 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 blah. but when it comes to religion, which is what I'm trying to get here, Mark Jensen said that the divine conspiracy. Um, comes from the formation of human being and sentiment towards others. Um, this obsession on, on trying to find reason through faith. And um, he says, and I quote, you could believe whatever you want to, if it gives you strength, but you should not oblige others to believe the same thing. And all the suicides commands, the honor killings, all that stuff. It gives me goosebumps even right now. Um, because obviously he was talking about like why, why, um, what was going on in the Middle East and the reasoning why people do what they do. But basically, at the core of it, the divine conspiracy was like people can believe in what they want, so long as you believe in it. That's that's what you believe in. If you believe that you're going to go to heaven or hell, that's your, you know, that's your prerogative. That's where you're going to go. If you believe, you know, if you believe that, like in Judaism, there's no there's no concept of heaven and hell. It's like a void. That's, you know, that's how you're going to go. I like to think that if in Lupin the Third, again, sorry for the rambling, but again, if in Lupin the Third, that suddenly Christ and the Christian allegories and everything, if that is canon, so long as Lupin and the gang believe it, I don't think they're going to heaven or hell. It really does matter if they believe in it. So like, let's say if Lupin is a Catholic, I don't know, from his French side, and... <laughs> You know, if you believe in the whole, you're either going to heaven or hell. Um, I don't, I don't know. Maybe Lupin dies. He just stays in purgatory forever, and purgatory is just him being chased by Zenigata. Oh wait, that's already his life. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You know the way, the way I like to, the way I like to see it is is if Lupin dies. You know that you know in Mystery Mama when they like put the thing on his head and they show his subconscious. I think that's exactly where he's going when he dies. <laughs> Oh, a little both then. Because <laughs> on one hand, boobs and pop rocks. On the other hand, 
Then I got us there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little both. That's Lupin's purgatory. <laughs> yeah, but basically what I was getting to it is that if in this episode it's stating that, you know, the Christian God is a thing and it's canon and whether or not the Lupin gang goes to heaven or hell, this is where I put the trump card of the divine conspiracy. Mm-hmm. They're not going to heaven or hell unless they believe in it. And that's how I kind of live my own life. Like, mm-hmm. you know, unless you grew up in a very religious family, um, you will never understand what it's like to have that religion beat down on you. And that whole thing of like, what you believe in is the truth, what other poli- people believe in is um, is not. And they're terrible people and we should hurt them. I'm not saying that my family taught me this, but there are people with these extremist views. Mm-hmm. And this is how we get a lot of what's going on in the world. But at the same time, I will never invalidate or deny someone's faith. I will never tell them what you believe in is not is not true. It's not right, you know, because I believe in something else. Again, believe what you want to believe. Where you go in the end is where you're going to go in the end. Me, I like to think that, you know, I'm going to what my grandma used to call the great bingo hall in the sky <laughs> and just play bingo for the rest of my life. <laughs> Okay, so about the episode. Yeah. <laughs> We're back on another episode of Deep Thoughts and Cigarettes once again. Yeah, the, I don't care. It's just, you know, um, what, but you don't have to edit this out. I just, oh, no. I'm just enjoying that, like, a lot of this, a lot of this episode is just bringing up this talk of whether or not religion is a thing in Lupin. So, mm. I mean, like, like, you know, we know it is. We've seen, you know, cults and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, every time Lupin's believed to be dead, then a guy like becomes a monk. <laughs> You know, we know that oh, uh, practices uh, Shinto as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And the original ending or opening for uh, Mystery of Mamo as well. So, yeah, you know, and then again, going back to the whole vampire episode. So, so yeah, you know, various, you know, beliefs and religions exist in the world loop on a third. It's just, I guess my friend was just kind of, wasn't sure how he felt about it. You know, this confirming the existence of God and angels mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I mean, it was kind of confirmed with the vampire episode with Camilla being canonically crisis sister right. and I, I i did bring that up to him as well and i also mentioned that bit in a uh, golden legend of babylon which is a much better title than legend of the gold of babylon it's just too many words yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry i'm still i'm still uh, miffed about that anyway so yeah i don't think it's really anything new i'm not quite sure i was going with it just i mean like it's unusual for them to take such a direct approach with it mm-hmm you know, you know ex- like explicitly having an archangel appear and hire Fujiko for a job to retrieve something we haven't brought up yet. Oh boy. The bones of Lucifer. Mm-hmm. Insert heavy metal guitar here. <laughs> but, but at the same time, you know, this goes the bigger question. Cause you know what they say? The Beatles needed the Rolling Stones. Um, you know, does this mean that, I don't know. I feel like I'm going into, you guys know the Kevin Smith film Dogma. I feel like I'm going into the Dogma <laughs> theories right now. If Lucifer is dead, then what's the need of having God? Question mark. Well, Big questions. <laughs> and, and see, the thing, it's like neither Fujiko nor the viewers find out why God is wanting Satan's remains now. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we're ever supposed to know. Yeah. You know, Lord, the Lord works in mysterious ways, I guess. <laughs> Very. <laughs> so that's, you know, we don't get any explanation because Fujiko turned them down after doing it. 
But it also makes sense why it's the Archangel Michael asking her to do this. Oh, sure. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in in the Bible, the Archangel Michael, he's actually a saint in my faith, though. There, There is really, it's not like he got canonized or anything, but he's known as a, um, the Archangel St. Michael. I can't even remember the phrasing. Anyways, um, it is said that during the battle of the end times, he will be the one to slay Satan. Just like in the story of, um, again, com- going back to mythology, just like in Ragnarok, um, it is um, Hamdal who will slay Loki in the final battle. And then and then uh, Thor and the Midgard Serpent take each other out. Yep. See, I, I, have, I have a bit of... Norse knowledge that doesn't come from comic books. <laughs> I find Norse mythology far more fascinating. Actually, no, that's a lie. I find Egyptian mythology far more fascinating because that involves cutting up somebody and scattering them all over the sands of Egypt, including their penis. <laughs> right on. <laughs> that was just my one instance to say penis on the podcast penis <laughs> well learned <laughs> you know uh boy this is gonna be a weird segue i'm not sure if i should make it <laughs> do it i won't so uh as a uh, as a big fan of monkey punch i thought it was interesting when uh michael points out the fujiko the venus symbol Oh, ah, yes. And I'm just, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm just like, as a Monkey Punch fan, I'm not used to seeing the Venus symbol in this context in the Lupin the Third story. Somebody put <laughs> on Twitter, and I think I retweeted it. Um, Lupin the, it, they put the Venus and the Mars symbol, and then it was like Lupin the Things be like, oh look, nudity, and that made me yeah, genuinely, exactly. that made me genuinely laugh because it's like, oh yeah, because Monkey Punch used to use those symbols to convey fucking, right. and he did it in a very yeah. clever way. You know, it was vulgar, yeah. but it was done in a very clever way. Oh, like, yeah. vul- right. vulgarity aside, um, and yeah, you're right. I was just gonna say my personal opinion. I thought it was really clever at first. Mm-hmm. But, you know, reading through Shin Lupin, it's just like, okay, I get what you're doing. This is funny the first time. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, you know, to be fair, even the Maestro had weeks where he wasn't putting out his best work. I know what that's like. Anyway, yeah, I just thought it was kind of funny. It's like, I don't know. It's like, I see these characters. I see the symbol. I'm thinking something completely different. <laughs> it's like, that's not a button. There's a button on it. <laughs> but... <laughs> That just might be the dirtiest joke I've made on this podcast. <laughs> oh, also... Um, this got to be up there, at least. <laughs> I don't feel like Monkey Punch would ever write this kind of story, so... Yeah, no, not really. No. Talking, no. talking about Monkey Punch, I don't think he would ever write the story for Lupin. Only Oshi would, would, would pull this, writing a, a Lupin <laughs> episode. And it's funny, because you, Natalie, you mentioned, like, the fact that, like... Well, not Natalie, I'm, uh, Chris, you mentioned the, 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 the fact that, like, the <laughs> biblical stuff in this is so literal. It's interesting because, like, most of Oshi's stuff, like, they're quoting scripture or there's, like, references to it. It almost feels, it almost feels like, again, just fun speculation. It's kind of like, he's like, huh, I got 24 minutes. Ah, fuck it. Just put a minute. <laughs> it's just like enough tiptoeing around it. Just throw God and Michael in there and Lucifer's bones. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I also really liked about it was, uh, I know we're like, it deals with all these, it deals with all these huge concepts and stuff. But I like how in the middle section... There's just like some like genuinely good 
interactions with the uh, the Lupine gang where you actually see them hashing out like the logistics of a job they're about to do, mm-hmm. which was really nice to see. Yeah, that 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 was the characterizations in particular are like. Man, I, I wish Oshi could write Lupin more. If like, to like, I, I'd like to see what he would do because the characterizations are like spot on because they mention the fact that there's this benefactor. They have no idea where he's coming from. He mentions this beautiful artifact in Jigen. The dialogue is literally, count me out. I ain't feeling this one at all. I don't work for any client who's too damn anxious to show their face. It goes against my code. And then I'm... Uh, they got fed this crap about beauty instead of, you know, anything legitimate. Which Lupin <laughs> replies with, you know, well, I dig being motivated by beauty, if you know what I mean. And then she can quickly snap back with, you're a hopeless <laughs> dumbass. And then walks out of the episode. <laughs> I was going to say, in hindsight, you know, near the end of the episode, Fujiko pretty much accused an archangel of staring at her ass. Hmm. She didn't realize that's what she was talking to, but, hmm. you know, when Michael as Lupin, you know, mentioned that he had followed her. And then Fujiko says, you know, you're always really good at following a woman's ass. So <laughs> she didn't realize she was talking to an archangel. <laughs> blasphemy, Fujiko, blasphemy. You're definitely going to hell now. <laughs> devil child, <laughs> devil child, devil we're, child. <laughs> putting, we're putting the ass in blasphemy. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Boy, I'm tempted to make that the episode. The, the adventure of putting the ass in blasphemy. <laughs> That's, that's the new episode name right there. That's what we're going to call it. That's it. We're sold right there. I can live with that. And uh, I, I kind of appreciate this episode and the last one being like, overall, like really Fujiko centric. Like she is like the lead character of this episode, yes. which also was really yeah. cool to see. It was it was nice to have that moment of, um, uh, it was like the little flashback when they're discussing uh, the, the mysterious man she met while they're like looking around the museum Yes. Um, uh, it was just like really nice just to have those two. Like one bit of dialogue was um, uh, Lupin asks, you know, that they find out what starts to set up the dread for me was like the fact that he looks up like current pictures of the mansion. and It's completely like filled with dust and abandoned. No one ever goes yes. there. No one ever even saw her go there at all or anyone. So you're kind of like, oh, boy, what's going on here? But Lupin you know, asks her, um, uh you sure they didn't spike your drink or something? And she responds, you know, nothing passes my lips when I'm meeting someone for the first time. I don't know. That was like, I don't know. For me, that was just like a really cool character moment where she's like, you know, I'm no amateur. You know who I am. Yeah, it is. That that, that was right. That was cool. Man, Oshi really like gets these characters, even with the fourth episode. Like, of course, Lupin and Jigen would just mess around and reenact the killers in a diner for no good reason whatsoever. Honestly, that's. The Killers and Diner is still one of my favorite episodes of Part Six. Oh, same. Agreed. Same. Yeah. I, funny enough, like I had a mini um, Lupin the Third Part Six marathon while my ex came to visit me for my birthday this weekend because he hadn't really watched a lot of it. So I was like, let's watch some Lupin the Third Part Six, and we watched this episode. And he was like, people really didn't like this episode. I mean, I could see why because of the exposition, but that was a that was a fun romp. And if you like, you know, conspiracy theories and American history, he likes it in the sense of making fun of it because it did have, you know, within the conspiracy theory, it had real historical, you know, the guy who actually did lead the CIA. He was like, that was a really good romp. Like, come on. (laughs) It would make sense for Lupin and Jigen to, you know, reenact (laughs) scenes from books. And honestly, all the exposition in that episode was part of the joke. Yep. Exactly. 
Exactly. I, I, I kind of like, even though it went a little long in this episode, I like how Oshi uses exposition not to just get information across, but in in Killers in the Diner, it's used as a gag to get all of the, uh, the Hemingway short story titles in there. And in this one, my guess would be like the way I see it is like it, it sets a tone in it, like with those creepy silences, the fact that there is no music until he starts talking about, you know, the, the discovery of the fossil. And even then, it's like very minimalistic music. It's just like soft piano chords and then it's done again. So, like, honestly, I, I, I appreciate how he has used exposition in these two episodes. Like, it's not just there to dump information. It's all it also serves like a bigger purpose in the episode. So that's something mm-hmm. I can say better than um, <clears throat> what was that? The last episode of the Raven plot. What was it? Um, Untold Tale, where they just sat at the tombstones after like an episode of like promising high adventure. Let's sit here and talk about it. It's like, no, <laughs> please don't. Man, I'm looking at all the screen caps. I'm, I I didn't take notes for this episode. We, I usually don't do notes for Tea Time. I just screen capped a lot of quotes. Man, I really should have picked up on First Watch what was going on with with Michael. Because one of the lines of dialogue is he mentions, um, uh, I am merely here to act as a representative on behalf of the Lord whom I serve. And she's like, okay, but what do they want with it? And his line of dialogue yeah. is, there is no one on earth who can comprehend the will of my Lord. I'm like, that's a weird line. And then now I'm like, I'm stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to lie, Drew. I thought it was, you know, going back to the, you know, the Moriarty conspiracy that we're shooting off with the Raven. I thought that this episode would tie into that. Um, I guess, you know, maybe Mamoto Oshi wanted to tie into the main plot. And no, it wasn't. It was something completely different. And upon rewatch, I noticed that too. But again, I did feel there was going to be something biblical because of the name. You know, he's telling her the different pronunciations of his name. Mm-hmm. He gives her the Hebrew pronunciation, the conventional, you know, English pronunciation. He even gives her the Islamic variation of his name. So I was mm-hmm. like, Okay, I get it. It's the Archangel Michael. I'm freaking doing research on the mission dedicated to him in California. Like, I do not need this in my anime. <laughs> See, my, 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 my very much not smart brain was still worried about the exposition. So when like when she was like, your name's, um, I'm going to try to attempt to pronounce it. But like when she tries and he's like, well, it could also be, you know, Michelle or Miguel. I was like, oh man, that's weird. It's mm-hmm. kind of like it's kind of like the song Rocky Raccoon. Her name was McGill, but and she called herself a little, but everyone knew her as Nancy. I'm kind of like this guy just says the man in many yeah. names. <laughs> <laughs> that's where my brain went to at the moment. I was like, it's just a man in many names here. And then when it ends, I'm like, oh no, no, I'm just dumb. All right. Just glad to confirm that. <laughs> always glad to have that confirmed every week. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of that of this one story. I can't even remember the name of it, but where the villain meets the the main character. This I can't even remember what story it is. I just remember because this was the only thing that pointed out to me. But it's just it's very much along the lines of, well, my name is, <laughs> and Guillaume's gonna laugh at this. Well, my name is Guillaume. Guillaume. Well, I go by other names. I go by Guillermo, which is the spanish equivalent or you could just call me <coughs> william which is the english equivalent <laughs> guillaume's gonna listen to that and be like what is this villain in this book i want to read it <laughs> any damn thing but sue anyway <laughs> <laughs> very nice that's another thing back on the um uh 
the atmosphere of that exposition scene. And I know, like, in, in the moment, I'm just kind of like, man, this thing's kind of creepy. I realize now there's just, like, a lot of shots of, like, specifically here, of just, like, characters staring directly into the camera, which is always unnerving. So, like, again, props mm-hmm. to the director of this episode for, like, really, like, slowly ratcheting up tension. Like, like the tension ratchets up during that exposition scene kind of drops for the moments when, you know, the, the moment in the forest when Lupin, Jigen, and Fujiko are talking. But then just, like, you know, cranks up and continues to crank once, like, the whole uh, revelation of the mansion being empty. So, like, man... This is not what I was expecting to see in part six, but after like a number of episodes that have been not the one-offs, I've really liked the one-offs, but you know, like the main story plots have just been, okay, they're not bad. They're fine. Like, like having something that's so like vastly different and just like so full of just like interesting ideas. This one, this one really made me happy. Like this is up there for me as far as part six goes so far. Yeah, it's, it's like I said earlier. It's like I wouldn't want the entire series to be like mm-hmm. this, but like as a one-off, though, it's incredibly fascinating. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and ultimately, and ultimately, I was entertained, and that's really all that matters. Oh hell yeah! I I really hope Osha gets a TV special out of this at some point. So so wait, Drew, you want a TV special where the Lupin gang, I don't know, has to do something because of the intercession of the Archangels? Not a whole series, but one whole TV special, like. Like going off this concept and like really ratcheting up the cosmic horror. Uh, yes, that just one TV special. Like re- release it around October. Come on, man. Just it's really it's it's the perfect formula. So I'm thinking like something like a, a TV special version of Golden Legend of Babylon, but better. Uh, nah, I can't diss on Babylon, but with, but, but with the complete opposite tone. Yes, one hundred percent. Like like just as. Like just as batshit insane, but you know, taking itself a lot more seriously. Yeah, less less cartoony, more nightmare logic. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, it's just you know, Babylon goes completely nuts, but they do it for comedy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I also give this episode yeah, the, the. I'd be down for that. Just like a one-time thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, same. Like 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 not a status quo, but like I'd like to see it explored like one more time, right. like in a little isolated setting. It'd be kind of cool. And also, th- th- this episode gets the high honor of having well, the the reveal of like the, the the Lucifer's bones thing is like was a really creepy moment, especially with, like Lupin getting possessed? Question mark Whatever happened because like that was unnerving. But th- like this episode joins the ranks of like oh whatever that episode was of Woman Called Fuchiko Mine where the owl people are introduced because that just stuck with me. Are you talking about the one with the uh, Lupin and like the ghost town? Yes. Well, even before that, like, 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 like the first episode when they show up and you're like, uh, excuse me, <laughs> what, what, what is up with that? Um, with, with that and the, which to quote, um, Alucard and, um, um, Helsinger Bridge, the fuck is this? The fuck is that? The fuck are those? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but that episode of the woman called Fujiko Mine and a lot of moments in it. And the uh, got fuzz in my mouth. The uh, the very <laughs> final moments. The uh, the very final Sorry. moments. Wow, way to kill the mood, man. <laughs> the uh, the very final moments of episode thirteen of part three. That moment when the uh, the crow shows up and stares at Lupin, and the oh, music drops man. out. Its eyes glow red. Lupin's eyes grow red. No music at all. Just this 
unsettling, like atmospheric, like humming, cutting straight to credits. The uh, the smile that that Michael cuts to Fujiko has now joined the ranks of final moments in the Lupin episode that scared the shit out of me, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is a rare class of like moments. Like, like like Lupin never scares me at all. Often, but when it does, you remember it. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, they had to make it so detailed. Be not afraid, Drew. Be not afraid. Actually, I don't know if I don't know if I'm just. Um, <laughs> Um, I laugh that like there's a lot there's a there's a lot of reasons why a lot of Catholics, particularly Latino Catholics, are goth kids that love horror films. Um, that shit don't scare us. <laughs> we, we, I, I mean, I see where the fear comes from, but for me, it's just like ah, me like not Indeed. in like an erotic way or anything. It's just you know. <laughs> The, the execution not just because of the way you guys were looking at me sorry but the execution <laughs> of it was very well done and it's like yeah let the people who are not used to seeing this shit get horrified oh heck yeah we just feel off of it like power <laughs> yeah boy and I, I guess if it was me it was less like the fact that it's like it's like oh that's my archangel my archangel archangel michael it's more just kind of like that uncanny valley like that smile's too big for a person and why are you smiling yeah. like that hey don't leave wait a minute yes leave as fast as you can <laughs> please go and i think that, that that should probably wrap up i think our thoughts on this week's episode and lo and behold mm-hmm. What is shining upon us in the air? I, I can't. Okay, Bob, I need some shades, y'all. It's bright. It's bright. Wait, I can't. Ho, ho, ho. Greetings, Lupantic folks. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas, because now we are back on schedule with the 10th episode of Lupin the Third, Part 6. This time, Mamoru Oshii is back to write a new standalone episode. And this is quite a doozy. Before I go into the review, I have something to address. The plot of this episode implies the existence of real angels, of Lucifer, and of course, the Judeo-Christian God. While Archaeopteryx and the theory of evolution are painted in an almost skeptical light. This could be intellectually dangerous in a time where America, the UK and some parts of Europe are still plagued by the scourge of creationism. I am certain that Mamoru Oshii is not a creationist, and he is just using it for the sake of the narrative, but I need to remind you that a theory in science does not have the same meaning than in the everyday language. A theory in science is a tested and proven model, a solid observation of the material world. Evolution through natural selection is real. That is a fact, whether you believe it or not. And it does not have to go in contradiction with your personal beliefs. I myself am Catholic, and I am perfectly able to accept scientific facts, because I know how to separate my faith from the natural world. So, when the character of Mihail, who predictably turns out to be the angel Michael, does his little trivia speech about Archaeopteryx, he is also expressing disdain for evolution and the discovery of bird-like dinosaurs. 
While it is true that Archaeoraptor from China was a forgery made of two different species cobbled together, it was quickly debunked, and later finds in the Yichan province of China have since proven that some dinosaurs indeed had feathers and cemented the already suspected link between birds and dinosaurs. As for the Pilton Man, it was indeed a forgery created as a farce, but it is sometimes presented by creationists as a proof that evolution wasn't real and that paleontologists were merely creating evidence. According to the late Stephen Jay Gould, one of the reasons scientists at the time were quick to believe in a forgery was that there was a strong nationalist desire to make the first man an Englishman. Science is still a human discipline, and it will attract greed, hunger for fame, and even plain mischievousness. But here's the thing. If you only focus on the handful of fakes instead of looking at the whole enormous body of evidence backing up the theory of evolution in its many, many forms, including the observation of living beings today, you are not making a good case for your beliefs. Michael is cherry-picking facts, telling some while ignoring others, like a true creationist. The fact that he turns out to be an actual angel might imply he is right in his skepticism, but I prefer to see him as an angry angel who is mad at humans for finding an important truth for the world, one that would make the Christian faith lose some of its potency. The fact that he is a pretty yet scary man, surrounded by stuffed birds like Norman Bates from Psycho, further conveys the sense that, even if God is real, he is not of sound mind. Fujiko clearly plays along with his speech, and she is just as shocked as us when the final truth is revealed. For me, Michael is only spreading his creationist views as a way to justify his request to Fujiko. Fujiko mentions Frank Wynne, an Irish writer who is better known as a translator. However, he did write a best-selling novel titled I was Vermeer, acting as a biography to Han van Migeren, a Dutch painter and art forger, hence the connection with Michael's statements about forgeries. Ironically, van Migeren's own paintings got copied once his art got some reputation, probably in part thanks to Frank Wynne's novel. This would make for a great loop on the third episode. Speaking of Fujiko, she is once again carrying the episode even more so than the previous one. Jigen leaves the narrative early, probably because he is the realist of the gang and playing with God is not his thing, and Lupin turns out to not be himself, at least in the final act. But we follow Fujiko through and through. We share her curiosity, her apprehension and discomfort at finding something so utterly bizarre and maddening. It's downright Lovecraftian. You hear that, Cthulhu fans? You don't need your ancient gods to look like squids on steroids to be scary. The plain old Yahweh is scary enough, especially if you try to think what he would do to us if he were real. And that is ultimately where the episode finds its bigger strength. A sense of the uncanny. 
Horror in anime can go in very different ways with varying degrees of success. You can have your stupid gory fun with another or high school of the dead. You can add a bit of existential horror and sadism like Igorashi. But all of these series are often a bit tongue-in-cheek about their horror elements. It is rare to see anime tackle on horror in earnest and succeed at that. When they animated some of Junji Ito's horror stories, they failed to convey that sense of the uncanny that was so palpable in the original manga. But this episode manages to send shivers down my spine and rumblings in my insides, especially in the last scene at the museum where Fujiko and a god-possessed Lupin find the skeleton of Lucifer. It's a fun nod that Mamoru Oshii scrapped Lupin movie from the 80s, but more importantly, that whole act is filled with an unnerving atmosphere held by Lupin's strange behavior throughout and Fujiko's growing fear at what awaits her. It reminded me of John Carpenter's episode for Master of Horror called Cigarette Burns. In this TV movie, a cinephile, played by Norman Reedus, is asked by rich, eccentric Udo Kier to find the last copy of a cursed film called La Fin Absolue du Monde, where a real angel is being tortured on camera. Here, the fear is not that what we thought was real isn't, but that we are getting too close to something we cannot fathom unless we erase our own existence. Again, very Lovecraftian. As for the skeleton of the fallen angel himself, it is a poetic yet terrifying image, especially since it is headless, just like the London specimen of Archaeopteryx. Some lines are a bit murky in the translation, and I'm not sure what God Lupin meant when he says that the London specimen is the original but not the real one, I don't know if he meant that there was a copy made of a fake, or simply that Lucifer's fossil is the most important find. What I find funny is that this almost plays into the absurd belief of some creationists that the devil himself planted fossils to be found. But more interestingly, it harkens back to a weird connection that many manga and anime make between demons and dinosaurs. If you watched or read Gonagai's Devilman, you must have noticed that some of the demons have very prehistoric designs. And this connects to a strange branch of Shintoism, where the Japanese associated chaotic spirits with instinct animals. That's pretty much how they created Godzilla. This isn't the first time that the Lupin gang is confronted to a godlike figure. Mystery of Mamo is probably the best take of that concept, but even Mamo was not a real god, only a weird human creature with a lot of money and a cloning machine. Here, Fujiko is faced with the divine, or rather its probability. And that is quite new for the franchise, especially since this is the god of western civilization, making it extra exotic for a Japanese audience. Getting back on Lupin for a sec, the time meddling in the final act implies that this is an angel disguised as Lupin who opens the vault and creepily embraces Fujiko, 
But could it be that Lupin was actually possessed by God somehow? Again, it is an interesting twist on the possession trope, where it's not the devil who takes over your body, but the divine itself. Like a cult leader taking over your free will. Which is seriously way more terrifying than demonic possession. There is that classic scene in Mystery of Marmo where the villain, after probing Lupin's subconscious, only finds the void, and he can only comment that this is either the brain of a god or of a total idiot. Does this mean Lupin is more suggestible than others to get possessed by god? I am probably rambling at this point, but again, food for thought. The ending was perfect, especially when considering Fujiko's personality. By stating that she is too sacrilegious to steal for God, she basically says fuck you to the Almighty. She refuses to serve God, just like Lucifer. Maybe that's why Michael has such a creepy but resigned smile, he understands and acknowledges Fujiko's character. If Mystery of Marmo allowed Lupin to confront his own way of life against a so-called god, Darwin's bird gives Fujiko the opportunity to do the same. I cannot thank part 6 enough for all the good Fujiko moments it gave us so far. But seriously, the animation on Michael's face in that moment was so damn unsettling. Again, if angels were real, you wouldn't need demons. At this moment, I should add that Michael, in the Christian mythology, is an archangel, one of God's main lieutenants, and the one who is supposed to slay Satan during the Battle of the Angels in the Apocalypse. Satan being Lucifer, Michael's interest becomes a personal vendetta. I also like the connection between Venus, the morning star, and Lucifer, the light bearer. Originally, Lucifer was a Roman deity related to the goddess Aurora, who personified dawn. It's only later that Christians associated Lucifer, both the god and the planet, to Satan. And if Lucifer is the light bearer, this can play into my reading that God and Michael are angry at the fallen angel for giving humans a key to understanding and confirming the theory of evolution. Lucifer is close in concept to Prometheus, who is also an other disobedient deity who got punished for giving fire, in other words, knowledge, to humans. Overall, this was a thought-provoking episode, with the right amount of exposition, action, and even horrific undertones. People who didn't like Oshii's previous outing will probably not be won over, but it doesn't matter. This episode will not change the course of the series, and Fujiko saying no to God's request is a good way to tell the audience to move on. But I am glad that part 6 got the balls to do something like this. We don't know how many episodes our guest writers were given, so there is no clue on whether Mamoru Oshii will return to Lupin. But if this was his last episode? I think he ended on a high note. Next time, we get a Christmas present in the form of a double feature. The last two episodes in the Holmes Raven arc will play back-to-back -back on Christmas Day. And while this storyline has stalled on its tracks, I keep an open mind, and I am looking forward to see it all unfold. That's all for me. I hope you were not too bored by my paleontological and theological ramblings. 
and I thank you for your support. You can find me on Twitter at William Barbey, B-A-B-E-Y, on Deventart and ArtStation as Shin Red Deer, S-H-I-N-R-E-D-D-E-A-R, and you can even commission me or send me a tip on my coffee, also under Shin Red Deer. Until next time, stay safe, Lopantic folks, and remember, like Tom Wade said, there is no devil, only God when he's drunk. <laughs> Man, words like that so good. I'm gonna go write um. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go write you know. I'm gonna go write a chapter about this on an ancient scroll, and maybe someone will find it and then misuse it horribly for decades. So uh, on that note, I thought um, we weren't getting political here, Drew. <laughs> sorry. On that note, <laughs> um, Chris, where can we find you? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess you'll find me at the altar praying for uh, the sins we've committed today. <laughs> and, but yeah, I guess you can find me on Twitter uh, at Dr. Furball, D-R-F-U-R-B-A-L-L. Um, you can find my webcomic at weirdinacan.com and drawocoward.the-comic.org. And you can find me at Amazing Chris Godby, G-O-D-B-E-Y, on various other sites. Very nice. And, uh, Natalie, where can we find you? Well, when I'm committing atrocious sins and not going to church, like I keep telling my mom that I'm going to. Oops, she's going to listen to this, ain't she? No, she ain't. <laughs> you can find me on the Twitters at Cap, C-A-P, Lee, L-I, Helsing, H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G. You can also find me on Instagram where I pretend to be holy. I'm just kidding. Um, at Spelled out, Captain, C-A-P-T-A-I-N, Lee, L-I, Helsing, H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G. Do follow me if you want to see my travels because holy shit, I am, I'm out of here. <laughs> Fuck yeah, I'm out of this country <laughs> in four days. So, oh my goodness. So yeah, follow me if you want to see some, you know, some Alps or something. I don't know, snow. <laughs> Heck yeah. And Drew, um, where can we find you? And more importantly, no offense, where can we find the pod? So I'm taken. When I'm not writing my uh, my fire and brimstone sermon about the sins of Princess of the Breeze, uh, you can find me on my Twitter <laughs> account. <laughs> At DrewHunter15, that's D-R-E-W-H-U-N-T-E-R-1-5. But again... Most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at LupinPod. That's L-U-P-I-N-P-O-D. You can find us on Instagram at the same app. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And if and, 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 and if you happen to be listening to us on on Apple Podcasts, um, you know, you know, it would please the Lord if you gave us a five star review. Keep that in mind. Do it. Do it. You know, please do it or you're going to hell um do it or else an archangel is going to come down and ask you for some things you may not want to do i mean you know that's just that's just a typical that's just a typical friday in my life <laughs> i mean do you want to give us five stars or you want to go face an existential crisis staring down the bones of lucifer i mean it's pretty obvious man come on i know i do <laughs> i mean 
I mean, can I join Fujiko if I do? Oh, that's ah! true. I'm taking thought. Again, yeah. this is what happens when oh, you're stuck with a bunch mind. of boys. Uh, <laughs> it's okay, I'll join you too, because Fujiko looked amazing in this episode. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. It's like, you know, it's like, you know I, I made that whole proposition, and Chris like responded with pretty much that 60 Spider Man meme, like, you know, jokes on you, I'm into that shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and on that on, note. On that, on that unholy note. <laughs> on that note, um, you know, with our Christmas special coming out, and also, um, you know, to, you, what date it is today. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas, Lupontic folks. Yay, See you boy. on the next episode. Well, thanks, Jen. Good night. Farewell and blessings be upon you. Domine Padre Sefidis et Spiritus Santis. Next time on Sideburns and Cigarettes. The conclusion to this shitty storyline. I-, I don't even know if I'm really even excited for it. <laughs> well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm happy t- that we're likely coming to an end of this whole Raven thing and we'll be able to speak of it nevermore. Nevermore, 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 never. We had his existence confirmed in this last episode, so please, go ahead, let this, let this Raven arc in. Well, if not, just let it in. Please. Domine Padre se Felis Espiritu Santis Manomenas Manomenas Manomena I was expecting that You're welcome Oh boy Oh, oh lord <laughs> <laughs>